Father, may this be our simple prayer. Give us Jesus. Give me Jesus. We ask this this morning as we continue our worship. Amen. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. It seems that that's exactly what we've been talking about over these last weeks was how can we see Jesus more clearly? How, how can we see Him engaged in our lives? How can we see Him being that Lord and that Savior that we desire Him to be? And over these weeks, we have been looking into the Gospels, the, the stories of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and asking that we might see Jesus more clearly with 2020 vision. And today, we look to Jesus and see Him in the secret. That interesting. We must see Jesus in the secret. I think too often the secret is not the place where we see Jesus. For many, the secret is that place of, of deep struggle, even that place of darkness where we find ourselves overwhelmed by the sin and the struggle, the flesh that we combat. And yet, the Scripture is clear that we must see Jesus in the secret, certainly a, a place of spiritual warfare that we will see, but, but also that place of spiritual renewal, that place where the light shines brightly in our lives as we commune with the Spirit of God and His Word. And we must understand that if we want to see Jesus clearly, that we must see Him in those secret and quiet places, praying, meditating, spending time with His Father. The, uh, Luke 5.16 puts it this way, Jesus would often go to some place where He could be alone and where He could pray. And Luke captures this in, in such a way that, that we are drawn to this passage and understanding and knowing that we too are called to go to those places where we can be alone and where we can pray and where we can be strengthened and renewed in our relationship with God. I suspect that in those quiet and lonely places that Jesus would reflect upon Psalm 46.10 which says that we are to be still, the psalmist wrote, be still and know that I am God. Jesus in those quiet and lonely places, being still and knowing that His Father was His Father. That He could trust His Father. That, that, that His Father loved Him deeply. And likewise, we are called to that same experience of faith and intimacy with our Lord and our Savior. This morning, I want to do something a little different. I want to, us to consider four, if you would, vignettes, four stories in the life of Jesus where He went to pray. 
and he went to pray by himself. And I think that as we study, as we reflect on these passages, they will give us instruction, they'll give us insight and encouragement in our own discipline and practice of praying. The first one is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And we'll, we'll go and, and we're not going to read. I'll retell the story very briefly. But if you want to follow in Scripture, you might mark those, those key passages that I, I want us to focus upon. Well, Mark 1, verses 35 through 39 is certainly one of the, the, the introductory passages of, of Mark's Gospel to letting us know who Jesus is. And Jesus had traveled up into the Sea of Galilee and to the, the northern region of the Sea of Galilee to, to Capernaum. And if you've been to Capernaum, you'll know as it sits on the, the seashore there, as it, it's just beyond the seashore, is that there, that was a place where there was a, a fairly significant synagogue in Jesus' day. And Jesus had gathered in that synagogue. In fact, it was on a Sabbath. And the Pharisees and, and scribes at that point didn't know enough to, to, to be leery of Jesus. And on that Sabbath day, Jesus, in that particular afternoon time, Jesus healed a demon-possessed man. And it stirred the people in the, in the temple and others began to, to, in the synagogue, and others began to, to come and Jesus began to heal them. And it wasn't too long that Jesus went, went across the way, just just a few houses down from the synagogue to where Peter's mother-in-law lived who was sick and infirm and, and Jesus went and healed her. And the crowds of Capernaum realized and knew that, that Jesus was there and they began to bring their sick, their hurting to Jesus. And the Scripture says and indicates well into the night that Jesus was healing those that were brought to Him in that place. The Scripture tells us in verse 35, after this Sabbath day and evening of healing and casting out demons, that in the early morning, while it was still dark, on that Sunday morning, while it was still dark, just hours after this profound, powerful experience of healing, that of, of, of people coming to the Lord, that Jesus got up, He left the house, and He went away to a secluded place and began to pray. And as we follow this story, the, the disciples got up that morning and they began to look for Jesus and He was nowhere to be found. And, and they went out looking for Him. And finally, they found Jesus. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And you can just read between the lines. Everyone is looking for you. The crowd's already gathering. The people are coming to, to be healed. And notice what Jesus says in verse 38. It's almost as if he says, no, instead, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. A few verses earlier in, chapter, in verse, verse 15, the Scripture tells us that when Jesus came, that the time had been fulfilled and that the kingdom of God was at hand and that Jesus came preaching 
repentance and to believe in the gospel, the, the good news of salvation. And here in this moment of prayer, I can't help but believe that Jesus on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, overwhelmed by the response by the people coming to be healed, the temptation, if you would, to, to stay. Well, the people have heard, they'll come from all over. And Jesus, knowing that that wasn't quite right, I think was stirred to get up in the morning and he went out while it was still dark to pray and to seek God's will and understanding. And when the disciples came looking for him, Jesus was reassured. He was renewed in his understanding and his commitment. No, no, this is not what I've been called to do. I've been called to go into all of Galilee to preach the good news of salvation. This is what I came for. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 6, uh, the second story, the second vignette, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the stories in the gospel that, that is in all four gospels. And each one has a little different insight and nuance, maybe a different angle from which they, they see the story. And as we, we retell the story this morning, we'll particularly move into, refer to, to John and to Luke's account as well. But here, what we discover, we need to, to look in Mark 6 at, at verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. They reported what they had been doing and, and what they had taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away. Let's go away somewhere secluded. Let's go away somewhere where we can rest for a while. And so they got into their boat. In there in verse 31, they hadn't even had time to eat. The crowds were so intense. So they got into the boat and they went to a secluded place. Now as we talked about on the Sea of Galilee, you can, you can watch a boat sail all the way to the other side. And the Scripture tells us that in verse 33 that the people saw Jesus and the disciples heading around to the other side and they were so excited, they were so much desirous to hear from Jesus that they ran, they raced along the shore to meet Jesus on the other side. So they'd gotten into the boat to find rest, to find something to eat. They were already exhausted when they pulled into the shore, the crowd had followed them. The crowd had gathered as the, the people had run around the shore to meet them on the other side. And notice that the Scripture says that Jesus, in verse 34, He felt compassion. These people had run to, to hear from Him. And so out of His compassion, He began to teach them. Teach them right there on the, the shore. Later on that evening, as it would became later that afternoon, before evening, again, Jesus stirred with compassion, said, we need to feed this crowd. I mean, he and his disciples were already hungry when they got there. And we know the, the miracle, the story of, of, a, of a young lad bringing his five loaves and, and two fish, and, and Jesus doing this miracle there in that spot. But notice what happened next. As the miracle had, had taken place, as evening began to draw near, look what verse 45 says. Immediately, immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. Something happened. 
Something was going on and Jesus said to his disciples, guys, it's time for you to leave. Go get in the boat and begin. I'll meet you on the other side. And what we learn in John chapter 6 is that there became a murmuring from the crowd. And the crowd began to murmur, this is the Messiah. And word began to stir around the crowd that they were going to seize Jesus and they were going to take Him and they were going to force Him to be the King. And that His kingdom would come into effect in that moment as they would seize Him and hail Him as the, the new King who was going to overthrow as the Messiah, as the Christ, to overthrow the Romans. And they were in a secluded spot where they could, they could develop that initial crowd and they could march on down into Tiberias and, and then on into Jerusalem, they would have thought. And Jesus picked up on this and immediately He took His disciples and He put them in the boat. And then the Scripture says, and He dispersed the crowd. And then what did Jesus do? He went up into the mountain to pray. Luke kind of concludes the story. Luke transitions the feeding of the 5,000 immediately after a time of prayer to this question. Disciples, who does the crowd say that I am? And then he looked at the disciples and said, Disciples, who do you say that I am. You see, Jesus went up into the mountain to pray, to reflect on who He was, to again be reminded, to be strengthened and encouraged that His kingdom was not to be inaugurated in this manner, but rather He was the suffering service, not the vic servant, not the victorious king or warrior that would come on a steed to destroy and defeat the Romans. He was God's Messiah. He was the Father's Messiah, not the people's Messiah. And in a night of prayer, Jesus was strengthened and encouraged in this way. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6, the third venue, vignette, excuse me. Luke chapter 6. Jesus had again entered into the synagogue and was teaching on the Sabbath. He was noticing that a man that had come into the synagogue had a, a withered hand. And Jesus, with compassion, reached out and, and, and engaged that man, and He healed that man on the Sabbath. But by this time, the scribes and the Pharisees were, were aware of Jesus and that He would do these unlawful things on the Sabbath. And so the, the scribes and the Pharisees were furious and they were filled with rage against Jesus. And they began to plot against Jesus. And again, the Scripture says that Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. And the next morning, He came down and reunited with His disciples. Now at this point in Luke's Gospel, when we say disciples, we mean all the followers of Jesus. There was a, a, a caravan of people that would travel with Him. But on this night, after spending the night, the entire night in prayer, Jesus came down from the mountain and selected 12 of those disciples to be His 12 apostles. 
A night of prayer for perspective and discernment for those who would come against him. A night of prayer for wisdom as he decided who would mentor, whom he would mentor and entrust his kingdom and his message of salvation. Our last vignette we look at is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. It's the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. The time had come in Jesus' life in His ministry where He knew the betrayal and the arrest was imminent. He knew that, that the, the, the crucifixion was right before Him. And Jesus felt the full depth of that anguish and that horrific journey that was in front of Him. And He felt the need to get away by Himself one more time before all of this unfolded. Once again, He would plead with His Father, Father, is there any way, is there any way that I will not have to drink of this cup? Please spare me. Spare me the torture. Spare me the shame. Spare me the forsakenness. Yet in that garden, Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Give me the strength the courage, the faith to endure, to follow Your will. Luke tells us in his, his account of this story that Jesus was in such agony, He was in such grief, that as He prayed, His blood, His sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. Have, have you been there? Have you been to the garden? Have you... Have you prayed so intently, intensely, filled with grief and anxiety to the point where it felt like blood was pouring from your brow? This is where we find Jesus. His prayers that night offered the strength and the resolve to endure, to endure the pain, the shame, and the forsakenness that He would experience in just a few hours. Yet the garden tells us another story of prayer as well. You see, Jesus had taken His disciples and, and He had encouraged them and left them to pray as He went deeper into the garden to, to have His own prayer time. And He warned the disciples that they too would encounter temptation. And so He encouraged them to watch and to pray. To pray against the temptations that would come. And there in that setting of the, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, you could see across the valley to the, to the gates of Jerusalem. And I'm sure that as Jesus looked out towards the Temple Mount, that you could see the torches as the soldiers began to make their way down one side of the valley coming up on the other side to arrest Him. That experience driving Jesus to that deep, deep experience and anxiety of prayer. And He warned His disciples to watch and to pray. Oh, disciples, watch and pray. I know that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You must watch and pray. You must be ready for you see chaos will soon break forth. Your world will be rocked and shattered. But you must watch and pray. Be ready. Yet they slept. 
They slept. They slept. We sleep. And when Judas and the authorities showed up, Jesus was ready. His spirit was victorious over his flesh, and he glorified the Father in his obedience and sacrifice. And the disciples? Not so much. You see, they all betrayed Jesus in that moment. Peter first with his sword. And then all the disciples turned and ran. They all denied and betrayed Him. They all succumbed to the temptation. The temptation of that moment. Why? Because they slept instead of prayed. Four stories. Four stories that allow us to see Jesus clearly. The Son of God, the perfect one. Let me say that again. The Son of God, the perfect one. Praying to the Father for strength, for wisdom, for courage. It was that prayer that sustained and strengthened Him for His life, for His ministry, for His death. If prayer was that important for Jesus, the perfect Son of God, how much more important should it be for us? And yet, for how many of us is prayer just some kind of throwaway token that if we have time to get to, we'll get to? For Jesus, it was vital. It was vital to his life. Listen to how Jesus instructed us to pray from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 6. When you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to the Father. Now, this isn't speaking against praying in church. We know that the early church prayed together. But it's talking about that individual personal discipline and experience and practice of prayer. When you pray, go into your room. Go into... That quiet place. Go up to the mountain. Go to the wilderness. Go to the garden. Pray all night. Pray early in the morning. Pray to your Father in secret. Enter into the battle. Do not sleep, but keep watch and pray. And what should we pray about? Maybe these four vignettes of Jesus' life offer insight. If we see Jesus clearly, if we see Him 2020 with 2020 vision, I think what we can understand is that our prayers should include at times prayers asking the question, Who am I? I'm created in the image of God. Created in His image as a male or female. What does it mean to, to pray upon that and to, to understand who we are and who God has called us to be? As, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, what does it mean to have the name Christian? I'm a Christ follower. What does it mean to, to have Christ inside of me? To guide and direct and to lead me in each and every moment of my day. What does it mean to be 
for me, Wade Smith. What's the nature of my, my character? My strengths, my weaknesses, my, my gifts. And how do I live that out each day in a way that follows God's plan for me? Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? You're the Christ. Jesus knew that he was the Christ. A second thing that we would seek to pray about, I believe, is that, that we are, what is my purpose? What does God call me to this life for? Paul tells us in multiple places that, that we are saved by grace through faith, but that we are saved to do the good works that God has called us to beforehand. We are to grow and mature into those good faiths. God has a plan for our lives. He has a purpose for us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. You spend time praying through what that is. A lot of times we ask this question, God, what's your will for my life? What have you created and called me to do and to be? The third thing that we might pray for as we see from these stories of Jesus is I have a decision to make. What decisions are you faced with? Jesus spent the whole night in prayer trying to discern who were the 12 men that he would call to serve as his apostles. When was the last time you struggled through the night in prayer, in reflection, in communication with the Father about a, a decision that you were called and had to make? We must spend time in prayer seeking God's will for the decisions that are in front of us. So we move to the garden, we see that we're also to pray in those moments of grief. Oh, there's so many of you here today that, that are grieving through life. Life is hard. Grief re reminds us of our loss. It's our natural response to the loss of our lives. We each deal and struggle with loss. Sometimes we get angry over that loss. Why, God? Why are we experiencing this? Why is my loved one having to experience this pain, this hurt, this devastation? We pray in those moments of grief. We pray in those moments of denial. We, we pray in those moments where we know of our guilt. We pray in those moments where we're depressed. We pray in those moments when we're numb and we can't feel anything. When we grieve, we're to pray. Jesus went to the garden. Do you have that quiet place where you can go and pray and grieve and cry out to God and whatever emotion that you have. God gave us our emotions. Don't be afraid to say, God, I'm really angry right now. I confess I'm angry at you because I don't understand. God can handle that. Offer that to Him in prayer and allow Him to, to minister to you. And bring peace and hope and faith and love back. The third thing we see, or the second thing we see in the garden is Jesus praying, not my will, God, but yours be done. Jesus knew the road that was before him. He knew it was so difficult. And yet there he surrendered again to his Father. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I, I love this picture. Whenever you're struggling, sometimes it, it helps to, to, to do something or to see something. But, but imagine that struggle and that hurt and that pain in the palms of your hand. And then just lift it up to God. 
and say, God, it's yours. It's not mine anymore. Not my will, but yours, God. And hand it to Him. And say, God, I, I, I'll follow after you. I'll obey you. No matter the cost. No matter the pain. No matter what I must experience. Because I'm surrendering myself to your will. Finally, I think we go to the Lord in prayer as we saw here. When we're faced with temptation. When we must overcome temptation, reminding ourselves that the Spirit so often is willing, but the, the flesh is so weak. And how many times has the flesh overcome our spirit? And why? Because we have not been praying. We've been sleeping. We've been caught unawares. Oh, that we would watch with vigilance the temptation that comes our way. And that we would pray and not sleep as it comes. George W. Truett, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, authored and, and published this sermon, We Would See Jesus. One of his powerful quotes in this sermon says this, If we would see Jesus, we must know much of secret prayer. Is it not just here that most of us fail? We go about doing many things, but is not secret prayer one of the things that we largely leave undone? Church, we must be a people, individually and as a body of Christ, that go often to those quiet places, those secret places to pray, to seek God's will, to seek His wisdom and understanding, to seek His, His comfort and His strength, to reflect on our own lives of who we are and what our purpose in life is. Church, that we would not fail in the area of secret prayer. Would you commit yourself to this practice today? Would you commit yourself to being one who, who seeks the Lord often in times of, of prayer, daily, weekly, monthly, in those seasons that you need? I want to close with a reminder of two prayer opportunities we have before us. Ash Wednesday is a many, uh, foreign concept to many uh, good old Baptist, we've, we've broken in Advent, we've gotten to accustomed to Advent here, we, we cherish the Advent season, but Ash Wednesday is the start of, of the Easter season. It's that season in which we commit ourselves to the Lord in preparing for the cross, for the Holy Week. The Ash Wednesday service is that reminder that we are made from dust. And it's only by the grace and the mercy of God that we have life and life eternal. Our youth is part of their follow-up and response to what God's been doing among them. We'll, we'll host Ash Wednesday prayer in the sanctuary this Wednesday from 6 to 7.30. It's, it's a come and go with prayer stations. Oh, that you would come and spend that time individually, but as we come individually, we would come corporately to share in this time together. And then this coming Saturday on September 29th. I had a friend that was born on leap year. When he was 12, we teased him he was only four. Or three, I guess. <laughs> one day out of four years, could you not give one hour between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. to come to this place and to pray for your church? I've been 
following up with our deacons, challenging our deacons. Oh, that we would have deacons that would be here interspersed throughout the day. There's enough of you to have four or five at every hour coming to pray for our church and for yourself and each other. Could you not just keep watch for one hour? I know circumstances will prevent some of you, but oh, that the majority of us would come and pray. You see, if we're going to see Jesus clearly, we must see Him in the secret. We must see Him in prayer. You see, Jesus calls us to these places of secret to spend our time in prayer and meditation and Scripture listening and committing ourselves to following after Him. Would you come? Would you pray? Would you follow Christ today? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this beautiful picture, how we've seen Jesus clearly today, and we've seen Him as, as the Son of God, as, as, as a, a man who prayed fervently, who prayed regularly, who prayed specifically. The perfect Son of God. How much more should we commit ourselves and realize the need we have to pray and to seek You. If that's for the gift of life and salvation, then, then I would encourage you to come forward today and, and let us begin to pray with You and encourage and walk with You through that decision. Maybe there's a struggle of grief or maybe there's a struggle of, of a decision before You. Maybe you're struggling with who You are and what's Your purpose. Oh, that You would go to that quiet in secret place to begin that, that time of prayer. And if you'd want to come today and begin that prayer, kneeling at the altar, praying with one of our, our ministers or, or deacons, you come and begin that time of prayer. But would you commit your life to following Christ and spending time regularly, daily, in fellowship and prayer with Him?